Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you? Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family-friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to week 43 of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight we're talking about Jingle All the Way, a 1996 film written by Randy Cornfield, secretly rewritten by Chris Columbus, who was a producer on the film. <laughs> you could smell him all over this thing. It was the least surprising thing I've ever read in my <laughs> life when I saw that he was a producer on this and had redone the script. I was like, oh, yeah. That all makes a lot of sense. I feel like I know so much about him. Like, I could plan a party for Chris Columbus and, like, know exactly what to do to make him happy. I, I mean, just have a lot of, like, violence, like like cartoonish violence. Lots of AFV-type shenanigans. Yes. <laughs> There'd be, like, a bucket of confetti on people's head. Lots of stuff. Oh, my God. When little Anakin kicks Sinbad in the, in the nads, I was yeah. like, that's the most Chris Columbus thing <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Also, I love it. I love when kids kick adults in the balls. That's why America's what? Funniest Home Videos, it's hysterical. It's never not funny. America, wow. America's Funniest Home Videos, not when it happens to me. But watching okay. like the schadenfreude of having to other people, America's Funniest Home Videos is literally built. That entire it's TV true. franchise was built on dads taking baseball bats and golf clubs to their private parts. Dude, did you ever watch Idiocracy? Uh, no. Okay, so there's like an entire channel and they just skip all of the pretense that we're watching for any other reason. I think it's just called like get hit in the in the. <laughs> and that's all it is it's just like one like clip after another that's that's all the whole channel is uh that makes a lot of sense <laughs> yeah that makes a lot of sense. you should definitely check out idiocracy though that's a side note for you listeners so this movie was directed by a gentleman by the name of bryant levant it will maybe not surprise you these are some of the other movies that brian has done in his career one he directed an episode of married with children that's his first directing credit problem child two beethoven the flintstones Jingle All the Way, The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas, Snow Dogs, Are We There Yet? The Spy Next Door, several Scooby-Doo's, the ill-advised and unseen sequel to A Christmas Story, A Christmas Story 2, Max 2, White House Hero. That's his most recent film at 2017. Yeah, but you know what? There were a, there were a lot of recognizable movies in that. Grouping. 100%. So, you know, they're meant for kids and they're definitely slapsticky silly, but, you know, good for you, Brian. I feel like you've had a good career. Yeah, family fun. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's got a big old pool wherever Brian lives. I hope I he really does, hope too. For Viva Rock Vegas uh, alone. <laughs> Can I just tell you, like, my dad really dislikes going to the movie theater. It seems like anytime we take him, it's like the goofiest movie ever. We don't mean it to be. We truly don't mean it to be. But somehow it ends up being ridiculous. Like, we took him to see Sergeant Bilko. And then we also took him to see the Flintstones. <laughs> 
I wonder why he dislikes the movies. He, he's a trooper. <laughs> uh, the last movie I saw with my father was in 1989, Ghostbusters 2. Nice. And uh, we never went back to the movies again after that. Oh, so I don't no. know if that was his own commentary on the movies or <laughs> just our disintegrating relationship or a combination of the both. <laughs> could be, Ouch. Could be both. But uh, Well, hey, let me take you to November 22nd, 1996, when this movie was released. I was a, a young ingenue at St. John's University drinking coffee by the the gallons full and eating pop tarts is my only sustenance. Oh my I, goodness! I remember it well. Well, it had a budget of seventy-five million and a box office haul of one twenty-nine point eight million. So, pretty good job here, honestly. Yeah, yeah. This is this movie is classic. We got to take the kids to the movies on their Christmas break or on their Thanksgiving break. Where are we going to go see? Oh, Jingle All the Way, Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. Sinbad. Check and check. Let's go. (laughs) Let me give you the one, nay, the two-sentence plot summary on this one. Oh, the anxiety. I got to hold on to something. Hold on. I'm white-knuckling it. (laughs) A father vows to get his son a Turbo Man action figure for Christmas. However, every store is sold out of them, and he must travel all over town and compete with everybody else in order to find one. That's pretty much the plot of this movie. The plot of so many parents' lives. This movie, uh, just to give a little background, it draws its inspiration from the high demand for Christmas toys that it comes up in kind of waves and cycles. You think Cabbage Patch Kids and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers in the in the 80s and in the oh, 90s. Man. Furby. Remember Furby being such a big deal? Uh, I do. I do. So Randy Cornfield, who wrote this movie, he wrote the original screenplay after witnessing his in-laws going to a Santa Monica toy store at dawn in order to get his son a Power Ranger. Chris Columbus became interested in this movie and, and dipped his hands into the script after he struggled to obtain a Buzz Lightyear action figure for his son in 1995, which coincided with Toy Story coming out. This movie comes out the year that Tickle Me Elmo comes out. I I don't know. I mean, we were, mm-hmm. we were both in college, so I, I, Tickle Me Elmo was something we witnessed. But but you know what? That guy is still around, man. I'm telling you, my little niece is carrying around a little Tickle Me Elmo right now. I remember it as the first time. So I was working at Kmart by this point. And so we were we were doing the Thanksgiving Black Friday stuff. I remember giving hot chocolate to people standing out in the cold in the dead of night, waiting to get the busting down the doors of Kmart. And Tickle Me Elmo was like one of those toys that... It was, People were fist fighting. What you see in this movie, guys, it used to happen for real in stores. It's going on now. It still happens, yeah. It happens. It seems like something every year. Like PlayStation 5s right now are kind of like that thing in the high technology area. Still extremely hard to find. They're actually not even stores. You have to really just buy them online. But those little things too, like last, I want to say like uh, Christmas ago, remember those squinkies? They were like these little tiny toys. And like we had them when we were little. Okay. So when you were small, I don't know if you remember these plastic charm bracelets that girls had and they had necklaces too. And you could clip on little plastic charms and it would be like a little toothbrush or like a tiny purse. I like vaguely remember those. It's like yeah. miniatures, right? Okay. Squinkies came out and these were like the same type of thing, but it's like just, you know, goes around, comes around kind of thing. Impossible. 
impossible to find. Within like every two or three Christmas seasons, there is always this kind of rush for the Turbo Man of the year. I, for some reason, I feel like Tamagotchis were also a thing. Oh, yeah, that I remember that. There was a run on those kinds of things. But the Tickle Me Elmo, this, this movie comes out the year of Tickle Me Elmo. And so it was really like life imitating art or art imitating life, depending on which one you saw first. But this was so relatable, though. Again, having worked at Kmart, having been on the retail side of it and seen people bum rush and, and fight and throw punches and scream and lose their minds <laughs> over trying to get these hard-to-get items. And also as a parent now, going through those toy years. Can I tell you something super freaking funny? So this wasn't exactly about getting a toy, but this was like the day after Christmas where they have all the 50% off sales. We went through this weird time when me and my mom and my sister and my aunt and cousins and stuff, we would like go to different stores and like wait outside. So we'd be there like with our Starbucks or whatever. And it's like still dark out. I don't know what I was thinking, but I was being silly. And I like yanked on these Mervyn's doors, which was like mm, kind of like a like a low-end department store, mm-hmm. Mike, they opened. <gasps> yeah. And so everyone went like, <gasps> like, do you go in though? Like, 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 I like, I like pulled them apart. <laughs> like, like it just opened it. Everyone was like, <gasps> cause it was like a huge line of people. Like, like, what do we do now? And like, we totally went in. So <laughs> my mom bought so much that they ran out of register tape. Like she went through like a whole register tape and like, she like broke the register. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> I know. It's serious. So, you know what? This one also reminded me, it had a bad mom's mom's vibe to it too. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to like serve up the best Christmas ever to my kid. You know, I don't even know exactly what that's what it needs to look like until like the last second. And then I'm at the mall, like pulling my hair out kind of thing. All of that felt so dead on. This is, this movie feels a little bit like Jack Frost had a baby with bad moms. And yes. uh, and this is this is where you wound up, kind of thing. I I think that as we talk through it, I bet we even will like it'll just like innately we're gonna feel it in our guts, and then it's gonna come spewing out of our faces. Some other movies that we've done, it's gonna be like this part was this, and then we're just gonna say it. Right. So watching this, I mean, I again, I saw this was a movie I saw in the theaters. I, this was a part of my life, a uh, time of my life when I was going to the movies. I saw everything, everything that came out in this run of my life. I saw so many parts of this movie came running like flooding back to me i have not seen it since i probably saw it in the theaters but it all felt very familiar and i think that was as much this movie specifically as much as it was the kind of movie this is generally this feels like a real mid-card standard christmas fair something you know would it surprise you to hear that tim allen was originally in the running to be in this movie Oh, no, of course not. No, it feels exactly like a Cranks <laughs> or the Santa Claus, one, two, yeah. three, seven, nine, however many they've made. Uh, yes, the, yes. the clauses never end. Uh, so, yeah, you know, uh, or Jack Frost, it just feels like that very upbeat. I'm shocked that there's not like a Mariah Carey or like a Backstreet Boys or like a Christina Aguilera Christmas song attached to the end of this. It feels mm. very much like that high polish Hollywood is like, yeah, listen here, we need a Christmas movie. We need it now. Gosh well, you know, it. There's, there's always like a summer like popcorn kind of movie too. Yeah. Like Independence Day, like mm-hmm. always makes mm-hmm. me think of that one. This feels like the, like you said, like it's like the Christmas time holiday popcorn movie. Like everybody's going to go see it. Everybody knows the people who are in it. No one's going to be offended by it. And you know, you're probably going to have a couple laughs and you're, you know, you're generally going to leave smiling. 
funny you say Independence Day because this is 1996. So yeah. this is the year of Independence Day. This is, I know where I'm at in time. Uh, you had, this was pre-blackout period for you. You were still going <laughs> to the movies. I was still a human. <laughs> no, I was like, yeah, no, I was totally, I'm, I was, I'm the same age as you, man. I was doing the same things. So let's talk a little bit about casting here because this is, again, also mid-90s casting straight out of central casting. Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Sinbad, Phil Hartman, even like Rita Wilson, all of these people, I think, are peaking right here in the early to mid 90s. Most especially Sinbad and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, for sure. Do you we have to add the elephant in the room or the bodybuilder in the room? Do we ever buy <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger as a normal dad? OK, that got brought up several times in my house because we kept having to try to say to the kids like, so Everyone should recognize the fact that Arnold is much larger than most everybody. <laughs> Everyone should kind of like be picking up on the fact that he's like a bodybuilder. And like my kids were like, what is with this guy? Like he's supposed to be this ordinary man, but he's like so not an ordinary man. I think they were really smart to put him against Sinbad, who physically is an approximate size. He's not a bodybuilder, but he has that kind of like takes up space kind of body. And he... He really does a great job of making Arnold seem proportionally the right size of a, of a regular dad. Does that make sense? Because I'm like, because they play so many scenes where it's just the two of them in the frame. So it's like by doing that, you're like, yes, okay, he's a normal dad. When he's like hanging around with Rita Wilson, I'm like, how did this ever work? <laughs> like, what is this? You know, you're 100% correct. I mean, Phil Hartman, even at the towards the end of the movie, when he almost burns down Phil Hartman's house, Phil Hartman even turns to him and says, you can't bench press your way out of this one yeah, okay at this point i mean this is this is arnold schwarzenegger who's you know it's not a tuma from kindergarten cop and he's he's had you know he's had danny devito as his twin brother and he's had a baby with was it junior i mean this is this is comedy arnold right this is not conan the barbarian Dang, i've seen all those those are all uh, in everyone my wheelhouse. did i mean <laughs> last action hero he's on a run this is like the end of the arnold run in the second stage of his career because right? the 80s is all conan and predator and you know he's i'm arnold schwarzenegger you're not you know that kind of thing a hans and franz era and then he becomes like this comedian that we all just bought into hey he's funny i guess well and like the idea that you can move him into just like a regular job like right. you know kindergarten cop like okay he's just a regular old police officer you guys ignore i'm the very believable as a kindergarten teacher exactly. you believe me now okay exactly <laughs> You're my number one customer. What is it? What is it? What is his that job? Was Does... so weird. <laughs> I know. I, <laughs> when he very... says that to Rita Wilson, his wife, yeah. oh my God. I, I like, I went like, <gasps> I like clutched my pearls. Oh Lord. <laughs> like, oh, you said it to your wife. Oh no. <laughs> That's going to be a problem. <laughs> That's funny. That's very funny. You're my number one customer. No, Liz, Liz, no, wait. And she gets like the best like mom grown ever and before hanging up on him. <laughs> mom grown. Uh, so Christopher uh, Columbus actually wanted he wanted to get some of the home alone gang back together he wanted joe pesci to play myron originally 
Okay. Just for, for like the silliness of the two size men, you think? Well, I think because he knew him and I think for the villain aspect of it, you know, uh, and, but at 5'3", standing next to Arnold, the other cooler heads prevailed and they were like, it would accentuate the fact that he is this giant man among men, you know, like, I'm just a normal dad, you're not, well, give me the doll, you know, like, it just wouldn't be believable. They actually approached, they actually approached Daniel Stern, too, who, who was Joe Pesci's other, you know, wet bandit in Home Alone, who is much taller and much more closer to Arnold's size. So that would have been believable, but he kindly turned the role down. So Sinbad sliding in there, you know, and Sinbad, I, I don't know if you've I looked think he plays a good layered like character for Myron. He's fantastic. I he's my favorite part of this movie, hands down. He's what kept me into this movie. He almost blew his audition for this movie. Oh no, what did he do? Uh well he he's well he's on like a USO tour with like Hillary Clinton stuck in like sure. Bosnia and Herzegovina. <laughs> he's like he's like waylaid there and so he he misses his initial audition for the movie. Oh Lord. Yeah. And so Chris Columbus, though, waited for him to return and allow him to audition. And though, although Sinbad felt like he had, quote unquote, messed it up, he was still given the part, mainly probably because of the humor and the size. You know, he goes on, he improvises almost all of his lines. It's probably easy to have him in this movie. I think so. And there's something about him. And I I never know if this is just because it's our generation. And so we know Sinbad from like different world and like other TV shows and movies and stuff. I don't know if it's just that we we have a softer spot. Our age bracket has a softer spot for him. We're like, I know you said the word villain, but I didn't I never could buy into the villainous nature of him because Sinbad's just a goofy, like soft hearted guy at the end of the day for me. So I liked that they put him in this because he obviously had a side to him that was you know, I want to say taking it too far. I hate mm-hmm. to say villain, but like taking it too far. But that kind of worked because of like his type of humor and like his sort of just over the top persona kind of worked for me. So I didn't see him as a villain, just somebody who took it past <laughs> acceptable behavior. How about that? I mean, honestly, I think for the majority of this movie, he's just a dad who yes. is just at his rope's end, as it as it were. But I think in the last part of the movie, he actually does become a full fledged villain, though, because when he 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 exclusively be- chasing the boy, he begins obviously. to attack a, a, a small small <laughs> child. Yes, and and that don't don't get me wrong, that's bad. <laughs> that's right, right, bad. but but like like it's truly villain, still, like not comical, yeah. because up until that point, it's it's more just like these two frazzled dads who are trying to prove their love with this mm-hmm. item, and they're both really in the same boat. It's it's it comes at the end of the movie during the parade scene. Arnold has his Christmas moment where he realizes the the necessity of being a good dad and and he you know gets right with Jesus and Sinbad just falls further and further down the unhinged role like right he's 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 Willem Dafoe in Spider-Man when he goes full green goblin like he just becomes an <laughs> irredeemable kind of guy at you know at the end but it's like the madness of the season though yes yes it just gets to him and 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 honestly making him be a postal worker during this time not only just during the christmas season but also the term going postal was like something that was like still a a phrase that people used in in the late 90s so for me i'm like okay i like had to explain that to my to my kids that i was like you know this whole idea that he's like threatening people with a with like a homemade bomb and stuff like that's like not 
out of line of like people and how they kind of thought of the frazzled postal worker of that time. And people don't really know it now. I actually used it around time. I know. I know they don't because it's not right to call people's mental health. You don't say going postal. It's also stuff. died down too. It the, the rash of incidences doesn't happen anymore. It, it came up in something Tom and I were watching, and I had a I had to pause the thing. This was just like a month ago, I feel like, and I had to pause the thing and explain to him what going postal meant because he had no frame of reference for it. But I remember very clearly there was a post office near my high school that I looked askance at, you know, because I was kind of worried that maybe something insane was going to happen there. It it was a rash of violence in and around postal workers it, it was it was just a thing that was going on in a, in a small contained area and the phrase going postal literally came out of these incidences so for him to be doing this role as a postal worker is is such a 1996 moment but at the same time I, if they did this in 2021 honestly especially when everyone is like protecting these horrible shipping situations like you could make him an amazon worker i feel like and have him be like just as frazzled and just as like freaked out and like it would work you know right uh, i want to play a little bit of the clip where we meet myron <laughs> uh so because we i played the first part of this clip uh when we were doing the getting ready for what the next week's movie was when we were doing love actually last week but there's the rest of the clip where he really goes into a full tilt and you really you get the first sense of this guy is stretched to the brink. Like he is only holding onto his sanity with like the tippy tips of his finger versus Arnold, who has just been exposed as being a bad dad. Sinbad is like on the verge of losing it. Uh, let's uh, give a listen here. I'm kind of jumping in in the middle of the scene. Oh, your father's been laid off. And as if I didn't have enough pressure in my life, my son sends me out for some like goofy butt toy, some fruity robot named Turtle Man. It's Turbo Man. My son wants one, too. You know it's all a ploy, don't you? A ploy. Man, where have you been? Don't you watch TV? We are being set up by rich and powerful toy cartels. Oh, come now on. No, you got these big fat cats sit there using working class just like me and you. They spend billions of dollars on TV advertisement, and then they sit there and use subliminal messages to suck the children's minds out. And I know what I'm talking about because I went to junior college for a semester and I studied psychology, so I'm right in there. I know what's going on. And then they sit there and make a kid feel like garbage if you, the father, who's working 24-7, delivering mail so you can make an alimony payment to a woman that's stuck with everybody at the post office but me. And then when you get the toy, it breaks and you can't fix it because it's a little cheap plastic. You know what I like to do? I like to walk up in that office, grab one of those guys, and just chuck him, and chuck him until his eye pops out. Shouldn't wear fur. Shouldn't wear fur. Uh, yeah, I mean, that he's just holding on to it. There's so much going on with him. The way he works himself up reminds me so much of uh, uh, Dennis Leary from The Ref, or just oh, Dennis yes. Leary in general, <laughs> but which is not really part of Sinbad's style, but it, he sells it so well in this scene. I, I know everything I need to know about Myron after this two-minute clip. And you know what I appreciate, though? They don't just leave it at those big explosive moments like when they're in the diner and he's just sitting there drinking the coffee and he's just wallowing you know like there's like there's layers to myron that's not just like because because you could just make him just be the screaming wretch that just comes in on the scene freaks out and runs away right but like 
they actually do a good job of like showing all of the stages of grief that he's going through. Right. And I mean, he's sitting in the diner, you know, putting old homestead liquor <laughs> into his coffee and just ruminating yeah. about his dad and how Wallowing. it's just, just repeating that cycle. Man, it's, it's dad being a dad is such a weird thing. And the, the cycles that we repeat and have to choose to break, you know, I was going to come all at this with like daddy oh, and, and I stuff. worried. <laughs> I worried if this was going to be hard for for dads to watch because I think that there's so much worry. I mean, the whole premise at the beginning of this whole thing, when they say a father vows to get his son a Turbo Man action figure. Okay, not that's not really the, the setup. The setup is a father who continuously breaks promises to his son right. and is behind the eight ball here, has once again forgotten to get a promised toy. Okay, now start the story. That's completely different than just like, oh, no, we have to get this toy and it's sold out everywhere. Like, and I'm just a regular dad. Like, no, you're like a workaholic dad who doesn't show up, whose kid's looking in the stands. Very, very Jack Frost. I was getting the whole vibe of, remember, um, for all of you listeners who went back and watched Jack Frost with us, remember the little boy looking up in the stands from the hockey game and Mm -hmm. dad's not there. We have the same exact moment at the belt test when that little boy's looking up no no dad same moments and so i felt like okay you're already starting off with like this vulnerable heart like every dad who watches this must be like mm. <laughs> like you're making me feel bad i mean i w- i could i was copying and pasting just notes out of jack frost into this movie i have in, in my notes here it's not my fault which is a line that arnold says to to little anakin for for a start you have to own when you drop the ball so significantly you can't after a promise after broken promise after broken promise you can't ever start a sentence with it's not my fault it is your fault if you didn't have so many number one customers you could have gotten out of there and beaten the traffic you know like it, it is your fault arnold it's no one else's fault so take responsibility all right you're a big dude you know put on your big boy pants and take some responsibility but you have to show up I, this is jack frost all over again dads you have to show up you have to make promises and then you have to fulfill them you have to show up and it's not about the gd toy it's about being there at the belt test you don't get that again you can buy turbo uh, turd in january you can't you can't see the yellow belt test again you can't they, they, that's not how it works and you don't want to go over and watch it at ted's house you know while he's pulling on your woman oh like oh boy that was a whole thing Phil Hartman, man. I, the world is so worse off without Phil Hartman in it. This movie just made me miss him over and over again so, so much because a few people do sleazebag as well as Phil Hartman. <laughs> when you were talking about, we said in the last one that the the Hugh Grant swarmy, I think that Phil Hartman, like if you look up swarmy the, in the dictionary, it's his picture for sure. Oh my God, the looks, the lascivious looks he was giving the camera. I he felt not being remotely subtle. No, it was like the only thing he wasn't doing was rubbing his hands together as he cackled. (laughs) But like he does it like nine times. And I believe it every time I said, I know this guy. I feel like I know this guy. And it makes me want to take a shower every time he's on the screen. So Phil Harbert actually was originally considered for the Myron role. uh, And he came in, he read for it. It felt off, felt off to everyone. Hmm. But he read for Ted and uh, Brian 
uh, Levant, the director, he said he was pitch perfect for that role. (laughs) Here's a perfect example. Uh, Brian Levant goes on to give an example. During the filming, Phil Harmon, he drives onto the studio lot in his Ferrari, rolls up alongside Brian, the director, uh, rolls the window down and says, do you know where crew parking is? But like in that Phil Hartman voice, you know, like, you know, which I'm not even going to try and do, but we all know, you all know the voice. You're like, yes. you know where crew parking is? It, it always ends up sounding like Alan Rickman. Everything sounds like Alan Rickman, but uh, yeah, but you can see that then that's smart. And then just kind of like throwing his head back, cackling and like peeling out and leaving like 10, 10 feet of rubber on the ground of the studio lot. I see it in my head perfectly. That's Ted. That's Phil Hartman. I love it. It works so well for me. It is so funny. What do you, what do you make of the dad that Ted? supposed to be like he's had turbo man wrapped up under the tree ready to go this whole time but we don't look at him like a great guy so what do you make of this kind of like i don't know this kind of walking hypocrite he is sort of a good dad but he's also not a good man no, he's a bad man he's a I, I would say he's a great dad he's extremely attentive to his kids needs and i don't get the impression that he spoils his kid uh, as more that he's just kind of on on the ball I, you know, it, it's hard because he's definitely sleazy and he's definitely smarmy. And, but he knows he is though, too. He knows he's doing all the right things. You know, he knows he's going to go, he's got that right tool to fix what that woman needs fixed. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. That entire part with all the different women saying things to him, I was like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean it, it's hard because, and and obviously the reason she just said it's hard. Of all the responses, why did you say that? <laughs> because it is kind of complex. Like, yes, it's very easy to say he is he is a he is maybe the he's true like a villain. lech, right? He's a, he's a lech, and he is gross. But he's also not doing anything that the women in the neighborhood aren't also super into. Like, they're picking up everything he's putting down. It's not like, other than Rita Wilson, and the only reason he's pursuing her so hard is because she's playing hard to get. So he knows he can go rock, you know, the the headboards at any number of houses in the neighborhood. He can't with Liz, and so that's why he's pursuing her so hard. But is that his fault for... being that way like it's not like he's forcing himself on these women he's flirting and they're flirting back and it's all very gross and makes you skeevy but it's consensual it's what he does with liz is super gross the way he puts himself on liz is unacceptable and super gross and disgusting so i so i do not mean this in any double entendre he is literally filling a void all of these women (laughs) see i don't mean it like that all of these women have various you know husbands or dads that are checked out and so all he has to do is show the smallest amount of interest in helping just hoping. And, you know, whether, whether he's putting the Christmas lights up or whether he's, you know, fixing something in the house or whatever he's doing, baking the cookies. I mean, when he's like, you can go take a shower. I know sugar cookies, eight to 12 minutes. Like, who doesn't want that, that partner who can like actually pick up some slack? Like, that's all he has to do. But that's where the bar is, though. You know, like, that's it. That's all you have to be doing, men. And you would be golden. 
Well, here and, and here's the credit to Rita Wilson, because she's not getting that from her husband. Honestly, I mean, on paper, she should be in the same boat as all of these other housewives. He's the only dad around in a sea of moms at there at the belt test. He's helping them all out, doing stuff. He's putting lights up on on Arnold's house, you know, but Rita sees it, though, what he's doing with all the other women. And he sees how the other women are fawning over him and she's rolling her eyes hard. So she's already armored up against his ways and his insidious maneuvers because he's seeing it employed around the neighborhood and either isn't so over Arnold's absences or is just not I mean, maybe Phil just doesn't do it for her in a physical way. Who knows? I mean, Rita Wilson married well, to Tom she's Hanks. Married to Arnold and and is happy, you know, with him. But is she though? I mean, so here's the I thing. think she's not happy with his current behavior. Mm, well, sure. I mean, a lot of it has to do with this is again very reminiscent of Jack Frost. I'm thinking of Kelly Preston saying, I knew who you were when I married you. This is between you and the kid. Right. Because he didn't choose you to have this behavior. So she actually doesn't seem to have a gigantic beef with him within their marriage. It's all about how he behaves with the kid and showing up at the kid's stuff. That's true. There, that that's very true. I, you're you're right. At some point, though, that does bleed into your marriage, though. When you're the one who ends up having to be the dad as well as the mom, or the mom as well as the dad, eventually that does start taking its toll on your marriage. Did you did you go all the way to the end of the credits? There's an after credit scene in this movie, which is wild. Arnold is finally getting to put the star in his tree, and they're they're all they're all gathered around, and Rita Wilson and him they hug, and she's like, you know, watching you with with. Anakin and uh, <laughs> You're keep him that. <laughs> I, it's just easier for me to That's call him a little, little Annie, um, <laughs> you know, watching you with him and how much you cared and everything you did, you know, it really has me wondering like, what did you get me? And the camera mm-hmm. pulls mm-hmm. in all the way across from the room, like, like a 30 foot zoom in shot to yes. Arnold's face. And like, he's it just clearly has not gotten her anything. Yes. This is not a good guy. Like, what are we doing here, people? Again, the bar is oh so low. Oh so low. It drives me crazy. Do you know how many moms that I know, though, that fill their own stocking and buy their own presents? I I do. I do know. I know. I know. That's the thing. Like, I mean, like, literally, if they don't fill their stocking, it would just be empty. If they didn't do it, there'd be no presents for them under the tree. It's crazy how much moms are overlooked not just wives but moms in general caroline not to double on tantra here but i have to i have to fill my own stocking every year now so you do i'm well aware (laughs) sitting there filling my stocking alone so see and that's like a whole single parent thing too though but like i but you know what how how gross is it that little johnny is is pitching divorce to Annie and Ooh. and he's you know like my dad's doing great since the divorce it was really good for him like yeah. that's sick and 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 it by all accounts it is where is the mom he has full custody that's wild I, men don't get full custody over over their sons it, not in this country so what did she do the mom that that apparently he lives full time with the dad that's I can't imagine I can't <laughs> imagine also that seems like that seems like what the single the she sequel must be in jail yeah clearly she <laughs> must be in jail and a horrible person <laughs> you know that seems like what jingle all the way Two should have been about Ooh, and you know i don't know anything about jingle all the way Two, so i am gonna have to check it all i feel that way I, can i tell you i've just yeah. recently started watching the mass singer 
Larry the Cable Guy made a one-episode appearance. Well, no, actually, he was around for a couple episodes. And he, when he revealed himself, one of the clues that they gave you when you're trying to figure out who the who he who was under the mask was that he replaced Arnold Schwarzenegger in a movie. And the clue, when it was eventually revealed that it was Larry the Cable Guy, was when they go to do Jingle All the Way to 18 years later in 2014, Larry the Cable Guy plays the Arnold role. That's hilarious. Yeah, and they have nothing to do with each other. It's the same plot, essentially, but otherwise completely unconnected and different characters and different names. But it's the same movie, essentially, from what I read. Uh, there's a wrestler whose name is uh, Santino Martella. He plays, like, the the Sinbad role. Fascinating, fascinating. Let's finish off this cast before we move into the Is This a Christmas movie? So we have Rita Wilson, who's playing Liz, who's Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife. This is our second Rita Wilson movie, and the weird thing thing about it is that I know so little of her as an actress. So for us to see her twice, it's like, what is happening here? And like, I don't remember Rita Wilson in front of the camera career wise. Like, I know, obviously, she was an actress, but like, I can't tell ever, like, what am I watching? Like, did you like her? Did you see chemistry at all between like Rita and Arnold? Like, could you have done better casting wise? Put on your casting hat. Open Man. up that couch. Man, this has turned out to be a far dirtier episode than I imagined it to be. Uh, did I say something bad? <laughs> you said open up the casting couch as I, I think about casting that. women. And you went, <laughs> you did, did that too. <laughs> I, did. I, I did do that. Rita Wilson, she's such a non-entity for me. I literally had to go look up where we saw her already when you said that. I remember that we saw her recently, and I could not remember what movie. It was Mixed Nuts. I mean... So 1996, so... Sandra Bullock... Make Ryan, make Ryan would have been. They've, those people have too much personality for the, and, for and the too much gravitas, right? Yeah, too much yeah. gravitas, right? I mean, right. So, I, I think she's fine in this movie. For what the, this character is extremely one dimensional. She's purely there to shepherd around Anakin and to roll her eyes and say, "Howard." <laughs> like in different pitches that's her entire her and and to and to remove ted's arm from her shoulder that's her entire <laughs> arc in this movie oh he's on my right shoulder now oh now he's on my left shoulder oh uh, you know now now we're hugging like i have to extricate howard. myself howard <laughs> howard oh, howard really do you know how late it is howard sigh Sigh, sigh. I mean, that's all she's really given to do in this movie. Yeah. I so anyone maybe I guess I I. <laughs> you I know who know. could have played her? Terry Hatcher, because she could have done some more um hijinksy business. She's got that clumsy factor. Yeah. I, a couple of years later, Kristen Davis would have been. I mean, coming off of. I mean, having seen her in uh, Deck the Halls. I thought about that, but then I was going back towards like other people that we know too from these types. Like I was thinking Kelly Preston and stuff, but then I was like, well, but we can't do Kelly Preston because she would have been in Jack Frost, and that would have been like so so similar and like super weird. So intrigue. So Rita does a good job. Whatever she fills the role. She's not really. There's nothing asked of her, honestly, but to just. Really, she's like a she's like a bowling bumper where it's like anytime that Arnold or the kid comes towards her, she just bumps them back into the center, back towards each other. Other than that, she doesn't really do anything. 
Right. And, and, and through no fault of her own, there's just nothing for her to do. Yeah, this is, this is, she's like the dad in Home Alone. Yes. Who like didn't really realize he was in the movie. <laughs> yeah. It was just, uh, oh, the camera's on. Hey, it just kind of waves at it. You know, like it's just there because you we need all it. had to wonder what did Mr. McAllister do to be able to fly everyone to Paris and have that home? <laughs> Drugs, obviously. But he didn't seem that smart and that great. <laughs> drugs clearly it was drugs but I uh, yeah i mean and you couldn't have two single dads with custody of their sons living next door to each other in this world they're so well, there had to be a mom there had to be a mom, to be a mom. Kid on. yeah right and he needed someone to drive anakin around I mean, so you keep saying Anakin. We need to point out that the little boy Jamie um, is played by Jake Lloyd. So all of us know him as Anakin from old Star Wars. Um, You know, Jake was so little in this. I I don't feel like anyone really like lauds uh, like the uh, performance of Jake Lloyd. Like he like in really in anything when he's so small, like he's very like me. He's got that whiny little voice, but this is like most definitely his first kind of like foray where I feel like he's very like dad. I don't know. Like he's just very, I don't know. Wienery is the word I want to say. <laughs> That's a technical term for kids who sound like wieners. I mean, so he's born in 89. This is nice. He's seven in this movie, which puts him at like 11 or 12 when Phantom Menace comes out. Uh, well, actually, does it? Wait, huh? when does Phantom Menace come out? Phantom I don't think Menace. he's 11 or 12. He's very little. His face uh, so is he's very 90, Okay, no, that's 99 that the Phantom Menace comes out. So it's only three years later. So he's 10. But there were line readings in this movie that I closed my eyes and Anakin is saying to, you know... Uh, 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 Shmi or Watto or, you know, uh, or, or C3PO or Obi-Wan or Quan Jin. Like, do your very best, Jake Lloyd, for me because he is such a wienery little voice to me. Let's see. What's up? What's a line? What's up? What's one Florians? No, here's a classic one. Here's a classic one. Now that's pod racing. That that's a classic. You almost made me spit out my drink. That's a that's uh yeah. Just you know, it's I all the it's, the accent the accents are just all in the wrong places, and it's like the first time he's ever heard the word is the take they use. He's very wide eyed and yeah. very like just his his mouth is very like trying to work overtime. <laughs> See, he's a very cute kid, and so you know, I'll give him all that. And I and, will know. beat you with the pod race, watu batu. <laughs> Nice. You know, like it's that kind of thing. But there, but there are lines in here that he's like, "Dad, you promised." Like he's I, never heard yes. the word "promise" before. Like he's sounding yes. it out as he's like kind of reading it. And I guess See, it's and that is yeah. a wienery kid. That's yes. not a kid I like to be around. That's a no. wienery kid. Where I'm like, quit acting wienery. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't like that kind of whining talking. I didn't. I me- I meant to pull the clip, but I didn't. But it, he's he's basically got a line in here where he's yelling at his dad on the phone when uh yes. the, and he you know the, put your mother on the phone and I, she's with she's petting Ted, which is a funny <laughs> line that made me laugh. That was really funny. He he invokes the Turbo Man code and he says you know and he uses like a deep voice, which is actually kind of funny. He goes uh. Keep your promises if you want to keep your friends. That's great advice. I mean, it's just that simple. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, one of the things that I don't know why any parent can't can't wrap their brain around is you don't actually have to promise anything. 
does everyone know that? Does everyone understand that? Like, you don't have to promise anything. So pick and choose your promises. Like, the way that in all these movies, the dads especially are like, I promise to, like, do whatever. Man, just freaking lose the word and you stop being a giant jackhole, you know? Because the problem is you're constantly promising stuff. You are under no obligation to promise your children anything. I don't think I've said the phrase, I promise you anything to my kids. I'm like, I'll do the best I can. We'll see. Let's see what happens. Because you know why? Because I am a realist and I understand that they can't always get what they want. So this constant walking around of like, I promise I'm going to be at your belt. I promise I'm going to get it. Oh, Lord, learn a lesson. Well, here's a, here's there's a reason for it, though. It's because the dads in these situations and and reflecting the dads that do this in real life are always they're they're always putting themselves in a deficit. And so that they're always working from a deficit and the it's it, we you see it in different forms and fashions all through life the the deeper you go in the hole the wilder and more grander the bets you make and words you use and things and choices you make that when they backfire put you even further in a hole which then just makes you have to go even grander and it's this self-propagating system of failure because eventually you're like i i, I will buy you the moon and lasso yeah. it mary yeah. i want to put a lasso around it. i want to put it under the tree mary oh, it's a tumor mary you know and, and, and what does mary say when he says all that stuff what at the end does she even say do i don't remember? do a mary impression so i don't remember uh, so i don't all remember. Sh- all they want is dad they don't want all the things that he's promised them they don't want the moon lasso they just want dad and that's the thing that like i'm i'm, I'm speaking to our listeners right now mike i'm not even talking to you if you are a young parent please skip the phrase i promise because the world is too unpredictable you you don't want to be in that position i know my good friend mike and he always has a great phrase right under promise and over deliver quit your freaking promises to your kids just say i'll do the best i can and when you show up with two turbo dolls you're amazing instead of being a horrible person when you don't have it just skip it and i know we have some young moms because i get messages from you guys skip it this holiday season's coming i know you have some little ones Quit promising things. Your kid just wants you there. Yes. Quit promising stuff. That's all they want. They just want, they just want, they honestly, they don't care about the thing under the tree. They just want you there and being proud of you, being proud of them and being with them and being happy. That's all they care about. It really is. Here's the thing. If you can't make it, stop promising you're going to be at the karate thing. Just say, I would. I am so excited to sit down with you and watch the video that neighbors had made, and we're gonna watch it together. And da- and mom's gonna sit there, and we're gonna have snacks. But I'm not gonna be able to be there in person. The end. Quit promising. I'm just trying to save all of our the parents out there. Just I, there is a false sense that you are obligated to promise your children stuff. Quit You're, it. I, this is this is a great PSA, and it's such good advice. I mean, I tried I tried expressing this to the dads out there during the Drag Frost episode. I, I've learned this lesson so in the in the hardest ways possible. It's still something I wrestle with all the time. 
Just be real. Just be real. Kids actually appreciate honesty and boundaries and real more than anything else. If you say, look, we, you know what? You don't, I never say we don't have enough money for that. Never, never. Know what I say? We have to make choices of how we spend our money. So we can choose, we can choose to go out to eat or we can choose to save our money for vacation. It's never, we don't have enough, but we have to make choices. And that's like this, like, like dad has to be at work and I have to work late because it's the holidays, not making any promises of when I'm going to be there, but I am going to say that I will be there. And when I'm there, we will absolutely spend time together. That's something he can deliver on, right? He will eventually go home. So, I mean, he can deliver on that. I mean, if he could avoid, you know, getting thrown in jail or whatever. And Ted. (laughs) Ted might be already there. Mom's petting Ted. Here, here is an Anakin line reading. This is this is okay, gives you everything that you need because he's still doing the same kind of line readings in this movie. Well, he's doing these kinds of line readings in this movie and still doing it a couple years later in Phantom Menace. Uh, Yoda, how feel you, Anakin? Cold, sir. That's exactly how he responds to Yoda <laughs> at the Jedi Council meeting. How okay. feel you, young one? Cold, sir. I mean, yeah, that's exactly what this little (laughs) weenie sounds like. So, yeah, (laughs) acting lessons were not were not good money spent uh, for for him and his family. But very cute. He's very cute. And and that's like 95 percent of his job is just uh, to look earnest into the camera and be this little round faced little boy. If they made a Jake Lloyd Cabbage Patch doll, that would have been the number one selling toy of 1996. For sure. Let's talk some cameos that are in this because I was really laughing at some of the ones that were in here. Right, we got to start with Martin Mull as Mr. Ponytail Man DJ. I Who doesn't love when Martin Mull, again, this is showing our 90s. This is showing our, our Roseanne <laughs> age and, and even earlier. I was thinking WKRP. No, isn't he on that? No, that's uh, Howard Hessman. I know. Okay. So, but that, all right. So Martin Mull's whole thing is, yeah, it's bringing me the vibe of WKRP, right? Completely. Yeah. 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 But I mean, you love when he shows up and he's always a weasel, right? He's always playing. He's never playing the really good guy. He's always playing the guy who's trying to sell you a used car that doesn't have an engine in it. But always that gets confronted and cornered and has to do the uh, 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 stammer. Like he always has to play that part where his eyes get really big and his mouth does this big O and he goes, uh, 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 <laughs> like every role. And in this one, it was, uh, uh, I didn't say you were going to get a Turbo Man doll. I just said you would eventually get a Turbo Man doll. It's a coupon. A <laughs> yes. uh, gift certificate. That's what it is. It's yes, a, yes, a big yes, gift yes. certificate. It was like a gift certificate version of like a big check you get from a radio station when you win money. So I thought that was- Okay. So I appreciated the setup of all the different ways he was going to actually get the doll between this one with the radio station. Very believable. The mall Santa Jim Belushi whole portion where there is that entire world of this like underground this underbelly. Yes. Of Santa. Yeah. I kept saying to the kids to see how the women are wearing those green visors that is indicators that they're like cheaters that they're like that they're doing something that's like underhanded that's that's your like visual cue for that they were like whoa that whole part and then when 
Well, they're also playing a bluesy, dark backdoor Santa yes. song over that yes. scene, too. <laughs> and the way that, though, that, like, Arnold actually handles it and gets out of there, really funny twist. I thought that, like, I was like, that whole part worked so the well for me. The whole scene when, when Ninja Santa picks up the candy cane nunchuckos and <laughs> and then the, the bare-chested, barrel-chested Santa, that's Big Show. He is a giant Big wrestler. Show. I don't know him. He okay. Is a, he is a, a search Big Show. Uh, his real name's Paul White. He is a wrestler who made his career in the WWE. He's actually, I think, with AEW now. But yeah, he is a giant of a man who does film stuff every now and then. But that's him prior to, he's still in like the indies. He's about to pop uh, or is just coming onto the WWE when this movie's coming out. He, he's going to be part of the Attitude Era and like the Ruthless Aggression Era in the WWE. But yeah, he's a giant of a man. So when he takes off and he's like barrel just with like the suspenders, I was like, that's hysterical <laughs> it's hysterical the wwe oddly involved in this movie they're a product they're a production company on jingle all the way too and one That's of the two funny. and one of the two stars is a wrestler who was like one of the comic wrestlers from the heyday of you know like the early 2000s of of the wwe kind of weird but yeah so big show is the barrel chested uh wrestler in that scene the whole thing really worked for me i thought it was very very funny and the Vern Troyer is the mini Santa again, hilarious. All Little that buddy. Yes, yeah, so cute. Yeah, big show staying there when he punts him. Uh, put, I mean, this <laughs> way he flies through the wall. How funny! How far have the special effects come uh, since this movie came out? <laughs> when, yeah, he has the, when he has the jetpack fuel and they're doing like this really bad CGI jetpack yes. fuel. Yes, it looked like my like it looked like me making flames out of out of construction paper for like a school project for Tom. But did it even matter? Like it no, didn't even it didn't require even anything better. It was just like. You know what? This is so silly and ridiculous. Like, okay, sure. He's flying like into the into the atmosphere. <laughs> okay. All right, but also Lorraine Newman and Harvey Corman. What? When I saw that they were in the little commercial, I was like, shut up. I mean, I haven't seen I hadn't seen Lorraine Newman, I don't think, since like I was watching SNL, you know. Oh, so for wild sure. no to see one her. had. Uh, but for me, Richard Ball, I don't know if you were a big Night Court fan, but Night Court was... <laughs> when I saw him, I was like, Mike is going to love this. He loves Night Court and he will love that Bull is in this. Bull Shannon playing the Dementor is the greatest thing that's ever <laughs> happened in my life. And Do you I like that I know that? That I'm like totally like, Mike's going to freak out when he sees Richard Ball in this. I, I do like that you know that. <laughs> Night Court, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, very much on record at Night Court, defined a large part of my comedy and my sense of humor that in airplane those are those the, if you want to understand what i think is funny go watch airplane go watch night court and there you have mike in a nutshell um <laughs> but have a booger booger playing the chain smoking yes. crying booster hysterical yes. i love curtis armstrong i love when he's in movies it always makes it better <laughs> i was like boogers booster that's hilarious that's boogers, what i wrote booster. my notes <laughs> that's, that's very funny i mean yeah. I, I mean he also has a very memorable role on moonlighting they bring him yes. in to be the romance to uh, Mr. Pesto, um, but it's he's always going to be Booger. I think I even used to call him Booger when I was watching Moonlighting, which I was also a huge fan of. I think I mostly called him Booger even still. <laughs> yeah, uh, and the wildest thing here is Chris Parnell. This is his first movie role. He's a baby. And it's but it went like right up his nostrils in that scene. Yes. I was like, good Lord. When he's doing the laughing, he, they made yes. him look insane because they pulled in so tight into his nostrils. I, I think I've said this before. I was told that Chris Parnell was my my celebrity lookalike. 
That's ridiculous. And I, I mean, I, I guess I see it a little bit. I don't know. It has stayed. It, it, it shooketh me when someone said that to me years ago, and it has stayed with me. I was like, do I look like Chris Parnell? I think maybe, maybe I do. Maybe at some stage in your life, but no time recently. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I mean, obviously, this is two years before he joins SNL, and uh, even more years before he becomes Doctor Spachemin on Thirty Rock, mm. where I think a lot of people <laughs> know him from, also. But yeah, I mean, some really great cameras. You know what? Every single one of them worked. Every one of them made me laugh. This is definitely a movie that is perfect for the family, especially if you have young boys or like teen, like young tween aged boys that 10 to 12 range. They're really going to love this movie. And I agree. It's fun and silly and just easy going. Like it's something that you can absolutely put on. Again, I have these days when like we're doing stuff around the house and we have company over and some people are watching TV. Some people are playing bingo. Some people are making a gingerbread house, whatever they're doing. And you need to have something to be able to put on. That's going to be a crowd pleaser. We often put on like the Christmas episodes of AFV, but this totally works. Like you could do this instead. Now I, I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression. This is not a good movie. It's just a good Christmas movie, which, again, is different is what it we is, found. It is a perfect stocking stuffer level gift Christmas movie. Yes. It is not a good movie. If it was a good movie, they would have addressed why they waited until Christmas Eve for this discussion to have of this doll not being purchased. I mean, honestly, this is Rita Wilson's fault as much as it's Arnold's fault. Well, I was going to ask she you about She didn't follow that. up, and, and even two weeks ago wouldn't have been enough based on the sales for this. But it's Christmas Eve, and they haven't even had the discussion about where this doll is, let alone it's not wrapped or anything. Come on. In what world would the number would you ever have the number one present of your year not having a discussion until Christmas Eve about where it is? I mean, it wouldn't for me. It wouldn't for <laughs> any sane person. But I mean, but but we have to. I mean, I. So you are blaming the mom, like I'm blaming both of them. They're both bad parents on this front. It, she she knows he is untrustworthy, and even if he was trustworthy, it is Christmas Eve. At some no. point, the two of them, they're not being a good parental team here. The two of them have to share the blame and the fact that this has not been accounted for. They haven't checked their presence. They haven't like taken a look at what, what do we have? What do we still need to get for that final shopping? You know, like we, we, we still need to get right. X, Y, and Z. Right. Come on. That's not believable. <laughs> I mean, Arnold is Arnold is not doing well in the dad department in any of the departments at all. <laughs> and and but she, but she also knows that he's not doing well in the in the dad departments. So is it believable that she asked him 2 weeks ago? Okay, so she asked him on December 15th to get this thing and didn't follow up with him? Come on. So, okay. So when my kids were little, I definitely feel like I did the majority of the shopping and stuff. And I have three, not one. So I do feel like it's different if you have one kid. I feel like, I don't know. I mean, does the does the father really not ever wonder what the kid's getting? I don't know. In I always knew. Well, TV and movies teach me that no, they don't even know. And that, and when I see on my Facebook, people always say the dads are just as surprised when, when presents are opened in the morning. And I'm always like, wow, really? Like, how did they wake up on Christmas morning and be like, I wonder what the kids will get? Like, what? 
that was my experience with men other than myself growing up. I, maybe I'm too OCD. Maybe I, I, whatever it is, that's not how I roll. But <laughs> I, all the more reason that it's not believable because it violates all of the tropes of Christmas uh, with parents and a kid that she wouldn't be on top of it. But okay, she she's trusting him, and it, it's it's the dad's responsibility. At some point, the two parents have to come together it's not like they have a lot of kids to track it's not like yeah. it's not like leaving your kid at home when you go off to paris you know <laughs> because there's nineteen thousand children running around there's one i'm cold sir and he's whiny af it's impossible <laughs> and he's constantly to, watching I, this I, tv in the living room he talks about like <laughs> I, you should probably take him to some kind of therapist it's all he talks about he's right. living in this turbo uh, tom world the original name for turbo man was going to be turbo tom which i prefer greatly and it made me smile uh and i though turbo turd earlier made me laugh hysterically inside it's all he lives his entire life here in this world how does this ball get dropped people it hurts my head because i'm like really is this the way it's like in other people's families it's not a good movie it's got a 70 percent rating on rotten tomatoes it is a perfect christmas movie just to have on in the background or if you want to gather around and sit and keep the kids occupied i think especially kids 13 12 and under are going to laugh a lot this mm-hmm. is a great movie for to sit them down sit and sit with them and scroll on your phone and look yes. up every now and then you can check out for entire swaths of this movie and come <laughs> back and be cool Uh, there's actually it's a little bit bad moms christmas it's it's definitely thematically a lot of jack frost there's a lot of hijinks kind of like uh harold and kumar christmas like the pursuit of the christmas tree is kind of like the pursuit of the turbo the turbo tom it's all this mid-card range there there's this this thing in wrestling and in boxing the end of the night is where your main event is that's where your big heavy hitters are going to come out but you got to fill up the whole night with matches right this movie is Mm. that mid-card is what you fill up it's what you fill your stocking with it's not necessarily the thing that you're like oh this is the best thing ever but it's it's empty calories it passes the time it's exactly what you need it makes it like like grandpa could be snoozing on the recliner and grandma's grandma's laughing with the kids and you know this totally works and no one's gonna be offended Nana's probably drinking alcoholic oh, eggnog. Nana. Well, she's probably she's probably spiked her eggnog, not like Ted's a non-alcoholic eggnog, which definitely Ted is putting roofies in his eggnog. Let's all be clear. Oh, he is, he there's is. no way he's not putting pills inside of his eggnog. There's no way. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I mean, it's a Christmas movie. It's an undeniable Christmas movie. It can't be. It, this movie doesn't exist if it's not a Christmas movie i 100% agree with you and i'm not even going to repeat any of the things you said because it's 100% what you said it is definitely a christmas movie are you ready to do some fast facts please arnold schwarzenegger and phil hartman were both contestants on the dating game how wacky is that that is very funny (laughs) i'd like to take you out for a date it would be very romantic i will carry you on my back and we will eat Austrian food and it will be amazing. And then I will bench press you for three hours. Oh my God. I will pick you up and put you down and pick you up and put you down. <laughs> it's not a tumor. I'm cold, sir. You are so silly. I am just, what I'm, you got? I, I, this movie just broke me. Uh, Give I, me I, another I, fast fact. <laughs> How about Arnold Schwarzenegger made $20 million for the role? 
I mean, on a budget of seventy-five million, literally, like just about one third, one fourth of that is going to is going to Arnold. So there you go. That's good math. That's the math section of tonight's podcast. Uh, I hope you guys were all taking uh, notes. This movie actually won some awards and and lost some awards. Uh, Sinbad won the Blockbuster Entertainment Award for favorite supporting actor in a family movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger won the Golden Camera Award for Best International Actor. It was nominated for a Razzie for Worst Director. It lost. Uh, it was nominated for three Stinkers Bad Movie Awards That's in the categories weird. of Most Painfully Unfunny Comedy, Worst Actor Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Worst Supporting Actress Rita Wilson. Wow. <laughs> To be fair, Rita had nothing to work with. I, I don't feel she had any lines to really do anything with. So I think that's a little harsh. Liz, you're my number one customer. That was so dead. So bad. I literally, because it was only like in the first like 10 minutes of the movie. And I was like, oh, I literally did that. It's a bit of a mess. The set for Ted's house is the repurposed set of the Bradford home from the TV series Eight is Enough. Oh, my God. I love that. I used to love Eight is Enough. <laughs> Who didn't? Young Danny Bonaducci. Danny Bonaducci was in Eight is Enough. He was in the Partridge family. Yeah. Oh, you know, I actually might be thinking of the sidekick from uh, Charles in Charge. Hold on. I will tell you. The sidekick? That's His name is like Charlie or something like that? Something Amos? Something. Uh, Willie, Willie Ames. He's from Eight is Enough, yeah. Yeah, that's who I was thinking of instead of uh, Danny Bonaducci. <laughs> uh, Minneapolis, where this movie takes place and a bunch of the movie was shot, does have a winter parade every year during the Christmas season. It is known as the Holly Dazzle Parade, but it is held in the evening, not during the day, as the wintertainment show is shown in this movie. I thought that wintertainment show sounded like really like a lot of fun. It had every there. licensed character ever known to man. Uh, Patty- I said that the entire time. I was like yelling it out. I was like, look! I don't know <laughs> how on earth they got permission. It is wild to me. They really did have everyone that I recognize. I was like, is that, there's like a Cabbage Patch doll? I'm like, oh, is that like Rock'em Sock'em Robot? Like, I was like yelling it out. My Two Rock'em like, Sock'em wow. Robots battling each other while Paddington is hugging little kids. Yeah. Like, the on the Madeline side. Madeline was there. There it was, was like wild. so many. I know. I was hooting. Well, there was a lot of uh, fascinating little facts in here, but I feel like we're ready for some Jingle Ball ratings. I think so. Are you ready to play me a clip for next week's movie? Yeah, man. It's a wild one. Uh oh. <laughs> uh, here we go. Let it rip. Why is he so successful with girls, then? Rick von Sloniker is tall, rich, good looking, stupid, dishonest, conceited, a bully, liar, drunk, and thief, an egomaniac, and probably psychotic. In short, highly attractive to women. You're completely unfair. You don't know anything about Rick. In fact, he's quite shy. God. He's a considerate and sensitive man. The rest is just a superficial game he plays, a facade, which you've obviously been taken in by. It's incredible, the eagerness of girls like you to justify the worst bastards imaginable as being sensitive and shy. But if any guy who really was shy dared talk to you, you wouldn't give him the time of day your eyes would glaze over. You're really hung up on Rick, aren't you? You must really threaten me somehow. You're right. I have no earthly idea. Like, none. Absolutely none. <laughs> It is a movie from 1990 called Metropolitan. I cut it off there because it actually gets into some uh, vulgar STD talk. Yeah, 1990 movie Metropolitan. It appears on a bunch of like 
intellectual Christmas movie lists, and that's why I'm including it here. I've never seen it. I don't know much about it. All my understanding is the dialogue that was just in that scene is is a sample of, I think, what a lot of the movie is. A lot of people that you've never heard of talking. So I, I am fascinated <laughs> to watch this one and talk about it. Okay, intrigue. All right, well, you're up for Jingle Ball Ratings. Oh, boy. Okay, let's see. Gotta... Now, this is strictly as a Christmas movie. This is not like, is it going to win an Oscar? Yes, as a Christmas movie, but also is it a good Christmas movie? Yeah, I know. I understand the criteria. <laughs> I had come into this recording saying I was going to give this a seven. Okay. I think I'm going to give it a 7.5. Okay. Which is probably a little higher than I actually want to give it because it's, again, it's not a good movie, but it really is a quintessential modern studio Christmas movie. This is what studios think Christmas is and shove down our and our kids' throats all the time. So I think you kind of have to just at some point stop fighting the tide and get swept away a little bit. So I'm going a little bit higher than my my heart wants to. I'm going to say 7.5 Jingle Bells. Okay. I am actually going to agree with you. I'm going to give it a 7.25 um, because I think that there are still some elements in here that are kind of outdated. Uh, you know, talking about the postal workers and stuff like that. I think, I don't know if kids will really get it or I don't know what they'll really understand. I agree with you so much though, that you could put this on, you can walk away. Nothing's really going on in this. We do have this lech behavior out of Ted. I don't know if parents might be sensitive to that. They might feel like this is like a bad example. I don't want my kid watching watching this, whatever. We have a lot of different value changes, I feel like, between 96 and 2021. So many. Night so, and day. Yeah. So there could be a lot of question marks that maybe Mike and I, because we saw this back in 96, we might be like not 100% picking up on like my spidey sense on. I feel like there could be younger parents than us who would be like, I can't believe you didn't pick up on this or see this or whatever. So I'm trying to be a little open to that and giving it a little like a little lower rating than I actually think it is because I, you know, I, as much as they're giving like a hard time about like the acting and stuff like that, this premise of the show and or the premise of the movie is so just like what we all deal with every year that I think that that alone, you like already win. You already got like a six just for that because we all get the frustration of it all. The relatability of this movie scores at a lot of Christmas movie points. Sinbad's performance, I really think is fantastic yeah, in this. Like I, really, I kind of like him. And, and honestly, Arnold, while not, I, I don't think he's a particularly great actor. I actually don't think he's a particularly great comedic actor. He is <laughs> elevated though in in the scenes where he is with Sinbad, those scenes make him better and and by the process of science make the movie better. Can I just say that it did kind of tweak my my mom bone a little bit with the amount of times that that doll was was within his grasp and he would just walk away like he's chasing the woman with the doll in the rear view window and he can see it and he just kind of starts trotting there is no point when i stop running until i like fall down like i would continue to chase that car because i laid eyes on the doll like i'm not giving it up same with like the little bouncy like ping pong ball to get the raffle 
I'm going to keep going for it. Like, like the, the amount of times that he gives up when it's like, you're almost there. Oh, I was it was like, infuriating to me. Like literally because that's not what a parent would do. I feel like we would, we would push on you know you'd keep running down that street once you realize that woman had it we have to quote billy madison here and it has a curse word <laughs> in it so parents oh. you can cover your little one's ears but you get out there and you find your fucking dog like what are we doing yes. people like yes this is, this is your mission this is your one God and you have job. your eyes on it. You have your eyes on the prize. You, are, I'm not letting it go. I'm not leaving. Like I'm not leaving. Even when you get the the big like limited edition doll at the end, okay, you tuck it in his book bag. That's great. Throw him off the stupid float back to his mother. <laughs> and Agreed. You, you are a giant, massive human being, and Sinbad, while tall, is made of mostly marshmallow. You put him <laughs> in the you put him in the ground like he is. Cockroach, what are we doing here, people? Oh my gosh, I so agree. Adrenaline would have been driving me. I mean, this is like the mom who lifts the car off the kid. I would be able to outrun that Oldsmobile. <laughs> like, I could do it. I Lady, could do it. Lady with the fur, fur coat, <laughs> come back here. I could do it. I but I wouldn't stop running. I mean, I would have to lose track of the car. It wouldn't just be me just slowing to a trot and then being like, well, I'll find another another way to get it. Like, no, man, I'm, I'm not I'm not stopping my running. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I no, I would be Tom Cruise in that S that that ish uh, all the way until <laughs> and he, this guy's loaded. He's got so many number one customers, you know, he could have he could have just thrown out a thousand bucks and been like, yes. lady, in the fur coat, give me the doll and everyone lives, you know, like when he's even put out by the how much I mean, I thought he was going to be i thought they were going to say a thousand dollars didn't sound like a bad deal even with inflation no it didn't i was i was sitting there saying i was saying a thousand dollars is what they're going to ask for when they asked for just a couple hundred bucks i was like dude are you actually you're you're not going to do it like oh my god which like, is a wonderful time uh, with Vern troyer to austin powers one million dollars uh, a million dollars isn't actually a lot of money nowadays. One million dollars. You know, exactly. like inflation just didn't sound right. Yeah. So many times. The bouncing ball, especially. Yes. Getting maced is a oh lot. My God. Getting maced in the eyeballs is a lot. But, you know, do you I just know, don't stop. I just I, don't stop. Do you know that the, the death grip I would have? That ball would never have left my hand. I don't care if I'm taking mace in the eyes. I agree. Uh, like, like a monkey's paw. You would have to get the jaws of life to claw that thing out. <laughs> of my hand <laughs> we see the muscles right <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly it all comes back to that. that's where the suspension i mean wait suspension wait disbelief right are we going into that everyone can recognize that's arnold in the turbo man suit just the yellow visor across his eyes oh is not enough God. for me to not recognize my own father <laughs> even if the kid even if anakin doesn't recognize it the oh. wife what is, what kind of fantasies is she immersing herself in that she no longer can recognize the giant austrian man who sounds exactly like her yeah. husband standing yes. a foot oh thank you sir howard again another <laughs> another inflection that she yeah. gets to use with the howard, uh, howard? oh my god that's yes so dear you didn't recognize me because i had on helmet but now yeah. it's me <laughs> right i was covering my hair 
right, right. Oh my gosh. Yes. The rest of me looks exactly the, the translucent same. visor over like oh my, my eyeballs and my completely exposed face. And I also sound like this because they specifically say his voice will be changed by like a voice box inside the suit. It doesn't. It's just kind of like a robotic Arnold voice. It's like Jamie, I choose you. That's not what Turbo Tur- <laughs> Turbo Turd said like on the cartoon. Don't say Turbo Turd. Oh my god. Oh, very <sighs> funny. Very, very funny. Well, <laughs> this has been a lot of good discussion about Jingle All the Way. It made me laugh much more than I thought. But that's the thing about this movie. I think it will make everybody laugh more than you think it will. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This has been our coverage of Jingle All the Way. If you wouldn't mind going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. And while you're there, if you could leave us a five-star rating, that would be fantastic. Because if you don't, you know what? We're going to have to send a mentor after you. I'm cold, sir. (laughs) So weird. Thanks for listening. I'm cold, sir. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.